for some of you, I guess, uh, we put up uh, a slide like this, Philippines. Uh, that might not mean much to you, so it'd be worthwhile just a very quick explanation of, uh, of what that means. The Bible is basically in two parts. There is the Old Testament, there is the New Testament, and uh, the Old Testament is the uh, communication of God to this world through his people before his son came into the world. That's what the Old Testament is. Helpful to remember that. It's the communication of God to this world through his people, preparing us for Jesus coming into the world, an event which took place around about 2,000 years ago and which has transformed this world. I mean, everything really in this world uh, had a shift change as a result of that event. It took some time for us to understand the significance. In fact, during those early years, the Christian faith wasn't something uh, which came in and immediately had uh, this dramatic world-changing uh, impact. It has done exactly what Jesus said would happen over the next period of time from that point where Jesus is first in this world until the point where he returns to this world. There will be an ever-changing and an ever-developing impact of the message of his presence to this in this world throughout that time. Now, during those first years... Um, God continued to speak and to uh, relate the message of his truth through what we see as the apostles. And one of the great apostles uh, of the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. He traveled around. He, he traveled to a lot of, uh, of countries and he established churches where there were not churches before. Uh, and he spoke the message of Jesus to people who had not heard the message of Jesus before. Uh, and during that time, the church grew. One of the places that he went to was the city of Philippi, which was a significant Roman city. He established a church there, uh, and then he moved on to, uh, to other places. We now find ourselves where he is writing back to that church, a church that he had previously established. It's in a book of the Bible called uh, The Letter of uh, the Philippi, or the letter to the Philippians. And uh, he writes it from uh, a Roman prison where at that po particular point in time he has been arrested because he is proclaiming wherever he goes the message of Jesus and uh, he's, he's hit against opposition and he's ended up in uh, a Roman prison. We're going to flick now and have a look at the two verses that we're going to be looking at this afternoon. That background is actually quite important because we now read uh, in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4 these words. Finally, brothers, uh, again just a reminder that uh, what we've got here is an English translation from uh, words that were written in Greek. Grit, uh, there is one word there which says... Uh, brothers, but the actual uh, meaning is probably actually brothers and sisters. Uh, so it's to us all, it's to men and women. Uh, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, 
If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I'm wondering whether the slide can catch up with me. don't know whether I'm reading. No, it can't. Okay, fair enough. That's it's an answer, isn't it? <laughs> Not quite the one you want, but there you go. We'll get there in a few minutes, I guess. So Paul is saying, okay, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever's honourable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, uh, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about this. Focus your minds on things which are pure, on things which are honourable, on things which are true. That sounds, doesn't it, to, to I guess for many of us, it would sound a bit like, um, a, bit like a self-help kind of idea. I mean, it wouldn't be on face value that far off uh, what we are encouraged to do in terms of, okay, you've got an issue in life, think about good things. Focus your mind on good things. Uh, just make sure that you uh, work really hard on having a positive frame of mind, a positive outlook. And if you get your positive frame of mind, positive outlook working right, you'll be okay. That sounds fine. That's the sort of uh, highfalutin way of putting it. Um, what's her name? Julie Andrews. Uh, sang a song in The Sound of Music, which sounds just the same, uh, but pretty lowbrow. She sang, when the dog bites, when the bee sting, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favourite things, and then I don't feel so bad. <laughs> Only that's not true, is it? It isn't actually true. In the reality of our life's experience, that when the real issues of life, you know, okay, a bee sting or a dog bite, we can probably get through with a bit of positive thinking. But when the real issues of life come through, how do we actually deal with them? How do we get uh, reshaped? In the way that we approach these things. What is the word of God actually instructing us here? And, and the reason for the introduction is because Paul is writing in a context which makes this uh, real life. He's writing from a Roman prison. He's writing to a group of people who are imminently about to face fierce opposition because they believe and are going to stand for the message of Jesus. Throughout the life of the church, that's been as it is. That, that uh, there has been opposition, there continues to be opposition in, in the world that we live in. Because quite honestly, raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens don't get us through crises in life, do they? Nor do they deal with the real challenge of the way we are. Because that's the other aspect of this. What is the overall message 
uh, of this letter to the, to the church at Philippi. It's saying to this church, this young fledgling church, okay, you have, you have come to faith in Jesus. Now live it out. Live lives which are starkly, radically different. Which are reshaped. Which are not conforming to an old pattern, but are living in a way which is new and changed and different and empowered in a different way. So live it differently. We're going to look at three things this afternoon, which gives us an instruction as to why and how this particular text uh, is, is important for us to understand. Okay, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, I want to ask the question first, what is the whatever? What is the whatever, firstly? Secondly, I want to ask, why is it life-saving? And thirdly, I want to ask, what happens when I don't sustain it? There's the three things I want to ask this afternoon. First thing is, what is the whatever? Think of true things, honourable, just, pure, commendable things. Think of those things. Is that a kind of pluck it out the air, things that you think are good things, things that are pure, nice things, happy things? Or is there something deeper going on? Is there something uh, more powerful and more instructive going on? Well, what is, I want to ask the, in answering this, what is pure? I, I'm not talking about what is reasonably pure. I'm talking what is ultimately pure. What is ultimately honourable? What is ultimately just? That's the question that this is encouraging to us to ask. What is ultimately those things? The Bible's answer to that would be, as John puts it, in the beginning was the word, John says, in the beginning was the word, the the word that's used there in the Greek is the logos. He's saying in the beginning is the, the mover, the shaper, the source of everything. What is the source of absolute purity uh, and honour and goodness? John is saying that what is behind all of this is God. Now that, if we think about it, has to be the case, doesn't it? If God, as the Bible describes, is, the, is a good God, if God is a pure God, he has to be the source of purity and goodness, doesn't he? Because if there was anybody or anything that was more pure than God, then God would no longer be God. Whereas what we're saying, what the Bible is calling us to see is he is the very source 
What is ultimately pure? What is ultimately good? The answer that the Bible would say is God. God is ultimately pure. He is the source. As John says, he's the, what is behind it all. He is the logos. He is the, 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 uh, the, the spring, if you like, welling up for every other pureness to be seen. The Bible says that in so many ways and in different ways. It says, you know when you look around the world? You look at a perfect world of creation. You look at a beautiful uh, sunset. You look at uh, the night sky. You look at the beauty of a newborn life. All of those different things. What's behind it? The God who created it. God of purity. God of goodness. God of beauty. God of majesty. Everything that we see that is pointing us to a desire for goodness, a desire for purity, a desire, it's only a pointer, the Bible would say. Romans, it says, uh, from the very beginning of time, God's perfect attributes have been seen in the world that we live in. Not that... We understand everything about God from the world that we live in. But it points us in the direction of God. It says, when you think of pureness, where's it come from? When you think of something which is honourable, where's it come from? Where's the ultimate? That's what the whatever is. The final source. God himself. What Paul is saying here is, how do we live our lives so that we are radically changed day to day is to, to fill our lives where we are focusing our lives day by day on that which is God. The reason that we read uh, the account of Jesus' uh, temptation is because I think what we see here is a perfect picture of a life which is absorbed and fully overwhelmed by a focus on his Father. We see Jesus, who uh, is now, having been baptised, he's begun his ministry, and, and immediately having been baptised, he now goes out, away from uh, people, he's alone, he's by himself uh, and we see him going out into a, a period of time, 40 days and 40 nights, where uh, we see that he is tempted there are three ways in which he is tempted first thing that we see is Jesus having been uh, having been um, uh, not eating for 40 days we see that uh, Satan comes to him and he says change this rock into bread. What's behind that? Why is Satan coming to Jesus and saying, change this into bread? Well, obviously because he's hungry. But what's actually behind it? Why is it key and why does it have an impact on us? Because what Satan is saying is, you've got to this point... And you need to stop relying on your father. 
You need to do it for yourself. You know, you're hungry, aren't you? Stop relying on your father because quite honestly, for 40 days, it's not worked, has it? It's not provided for you. Take it into your own hands and make some bread for yourself. What's Jesus' answer? Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What is Jesus' response to Satan's temptation to say, take the issue into your own hands? He's saying, in this situation, I'm trusting my Father. Now, listen. I know that we go through issues in life where we, we, we just feel as if I need to take things into my own hands. What does a life that is shaped in such a way that we are, we are now dramatically living different lives, shaped by Jesus, what does it look like? It means that in that moment in time when I face this, my response is not take it into my own hands. My response is I am so immersed and engrossed in a confidence in God that the instant reaction is God's word. That's what Jesus responds with, doesn't it? What does he answer? Jesus uses the Bible to answer Satan. Isn't that remarkable? The, the creator of heaven and earth, who is in this world as a human being, his, what he falls back on is what God has already declared. And that is exactly the same for us. That is our strength. That is our confidence. When we face that point of take it into your own hands, where do I fall back on? I fall back on God's word. I fall back on what he has already said. I'm not going to trust in me. I'm going to trust in what God has said. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. Next one. Let me take you up to the very pinnacle of the temple. Now throw yourself off. And as you throw yourself off in front of all of these people, then isn't it clear that you will be saved because... Doesn't it sound as if Satan's onto this now? Oh, yeah, you're using, the, you're using what God's promised, are you? Well, let me now twist what God has promised. Let me twist it. Because God has promised that you'll be protected. So that now, if you, if you throw yourself off, and everybody sees that you're protected, in a moment, <laughs> there's going to be accolade for you. Everybody's going to be worshipping you. What's Jesus' response? Exodus chapter 20, at least, and others. You worship the Lord your God. I worship my Father. Isn't that a remarkable answer from Jesus? The Son of the living God who was in this world to declare the living God, into this world and to achieve salvation for his people, he says, he points worship towards his Father in heaven. 
point number three. Prove to me who you are. What does Jesus answer? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What is the whatever and how does it impact us? The whatever is an absolute immersing in God. How does it affect us? It means that we live our lives day to day through, if you like, through the lens, through the overshadowing, through the uh, shaping, not of our view of the world, but of God's view of the world. So that's the first thing. What is the whatever? The whatever is God. In his word, in all of his truth. Next question is, why is it life-saving? Why does this verse that we see here, why is it going to bring us peace and why is it the way to live? Well, the first thing I would say is we all live influenced by things, don't we? All of us. We all live, whether we are, I don't know, maybe your, um, maybe your ambition is to be uh, a social climber, to be recognised, to achieve, to succeed, to be regarded in society as successful. Maybe that thought for you couldn't be further from the truth. Maybe actually what you are is a, deep down inside, you're an anarchist. I'll ask you the question, where has the thoughts to be that kind of person come from? What shapes you? I would say that for every one of us, the world that we live in and our own, what's going on in here, what's going on inside, is continually shaping us. It's making us make decisions day to day. It's making us make the decision when we get up and we go shopping and we go into a shop and we say, what, what kind of shirt am I going to buy? Said by somebody who never buys shirts. <laughs> what kind of shirt am I going to buy? Well, that decision is not a simple, you know, pluck it off the rail kind of decision, is it? There's all sorts of things going on. What do I want to project about myself? Who do I want to be? What do I want to th people to think about me as being? All sorts of decisions go on, or thoughts go on in making that decision, and that same uh, set of decisions influences everything else that we do in life. I think we're beginning to, uh, to see this uh, there was a, just a couple of days ago, there was a TV program which was raising the really serious issue of the over-sexualization of our children. 
by the, the clothes that are available and, and the products and the music videos and, and the issue that all of these kind of things are being directed and, and marketed to, uh, to kids of, well, six upwards. Uh, it was a Channel 4 program. Why are we bothered about that? Why are we bothered? Because we know that the impact and the shaping of those kind of things, that the influence uh, has, its pay, uh, has a toll on the minds and the thoughts of young ones. Are we so naive to think that somehow when we grow up, we're no longer influenced in the same way? Are we so naive to think that somehow when we grow up, the music that we listen to suddenly doesn't have any impact on me? Suddenly what I read, what I watch on TV, doesn't have any impact on me. I can watch it all and somehow I've now got this adult protective layer that stops it from influencing me and shaping me. Are we so naive to think that? Because it's not true, is it? We know that it's not true. We know that it's not true whether we are buying a shirt or whether we are reshaping, rethinking our views on the most horrible things that go on in this world. Why is that changing? Why is our mind, why are our minds being shaped? Because all around us, we are shaped by the effects of the world that we live in. Now, do you see the connection? What Paul is saying is, you, you Philippian church, you live in God's world. You now accept that God is the Lord of this world. Now live differently. How do I live differently in this world when this world is continually shaping and influencing the decisions that I make. Start filling your mind with something different is the answer. Fill your mind. Whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, pure, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things. Because that will change you. It will change you. If we fill our minds with God, we will be changed. Now that sounds, um, I guess that we might say, well that sounds in 21st century kind of a bit like brainwashing. Um, until we accept that we're brainwashed in one way or another. We are shaped in one way or another. We are not a blank canvas we are absorbing things all the time. And what this is saying is, guys, take a conscious decision to be shaped by something different. Take a conscious decision to not take the next click on the mouse. To not flick the TV on to that particular program. To not decide to spend the next three hours absorbing, 
thinking, dwelling, pondering on that particular genre of music. Do you see what this is saying? This is real life. This is not some glitzy, you know, self-help, cutesy, hippie Christian thing. This is about real life change. How do I do it? I fill my mind with different things. I dwell on different things. It is a matter of life and death. It is. It is that serious. Paul is saying in a Roman prison, in the face of the potential swinging of the sword, I am filling my mind with the good things of God. In the face, maybe for us today, of the potential medical results, unemployment, relationship meltdown, I am filling my mind with the good things of God. Because that will change me. It will change my outlook. Do we realize that we need to have a different outlook which we cannot shape ourselves? We need to be informed in a different way. I, 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 one, of the most, one of the most graphic ways that I've seen this really working out is chatting to someone a good number of years ago who uh, they, were, they were kind of filled, they were really into a particular genre of really dark music. And um, it wasn't just about the music. It was about filling the mind with the lifestyle, with the thoughts, with the attitudes, with the, with the shaping of the mind in a particular uh, dark kind of uh, genre of music. It wasn't just about listening to some tracks. I don't think this person started off deciding to go down that line. I think actually it just happened over a period of time. It became a dramatic and a powerful influence on their lives. Do you know what the turning point was? From awful depression and kind of a feeling of worthlessness and blackness and bleakness and emptiness. What was the turning point? Do you realize that Jesus loves you? He's given his life for you. You are his. And his objective is that you will find peace. Not by somehow mustering up in your own strength, but by looking to him. He is your source of peace. Over around about six months, that life was transformed. Because he stopped looking inside and started looking outside. He started dwelling on good things. Finally, what happens when I can't do this? You know, it's the Christian faith about, okay, you've come to faith in Jesus. Now, having done that, you've now got to keep up appearances in front of God. You've got to keep going and do all of these good things and make sure that you fill your minds with this and and that in every situation, when you are tempted, 
that you immediately, your responses, in those two seconds of decision, you make the right decision to fill your mind with good things. What happens when that doesn't work out? Jesus, in a wilderness, tempted by Satan, is what happens. You say, how? How does that impact me today? Because he did it. He achieved it. In his humanity, at the point of massive temptation, at the point where everything would say, reject it, turn away, take things into your own hands, live life with you at the center, he says, no, I will continue to live life with God at the center, my father at the center. He succeeded. Now, how do we receive that? We come back to the cross. We read a verse in in Jeremiah which prepares us for this. It says, in in the days of Jesus, in his days, we will be saved. We will dwell securely. And this is the name by which we will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The word there in Hebrew is Yahweh Tzedenku. The Lord is is my righteousness, or our righteousness. What happens when we fail? Jesus achieves. He becomes our righteousness. I've used this phrase so many times, I'll continue to use it because I think it's one of the timeless phrases that Martin Luther coined, at the cross, a great exchange took place. When I come to the cross, all of the righteousness of Jesus, the fact that when he was tempted, he succeeded, becomes mine. So that when I am tempted and I fail, I am no longer the one who fails, but he is nailed to the cross for my failure. Isn't that remarkable? And what I receive is the fact that he succeeded. (laughs) In his temptation, he triumphed. And I receive that because his righteousness in the life that he lived becomes mine. It is mine. So that I can and you can in the aftermath of failure I can get back up and I can say I don't stand before God because I'm achieving I stand before God because Jesus has achieved. I received that. He is mine. I am in Christ. That's a promise. And then we kind of go round in a circle. What is the whatever? That's the whatever. That truth. That's mine in Christ. How do we live differently? By filling our minds with good things. Now we've got, to, we've got to make a conscious decision to do that. I'm going to do that. In filling my mind with good things, I realize that this is a matter of life and death which I have embraced.